Hi and welcome to The Three Good Podcast, a weekend podcast where I talk about all things to do with positive psychology, well-being, resilience, mental health and emotional intelligence. I'm your host, Sukhpabia. So happy weekend folks and welcome back to The Three Good Podcast. And um, I had a break for a few weeks. Um, Last weekend had quite a few different family events happening. My aunt turned 80 um, the week previous, so we had a nice family gathering there. And um, the Sunday we had a blessing at my parents' house, which was quite nice to do as well. And, uh, and so, um, if you've followed any of my tweets over this week, I've been mentioning that, quite excited, because I'm going to have several guests over the next couple of weeks, and this weekend, I'm hoping to release two episodes back-to-back, and one is with Mark Gilroy, uh, who's with me right now. Hi, Mark. Hello, Sue. Thank you so much for having me back. How exciting. It is very exciting to have a recurring, returning and recurring guest. And so that's going to be pretty cool. And then tomorrow I'm talking with Jem Dale, who will be my guest for the first time. And next week I'm talking with Gary Cookson as well. So a, a nice mix of people who are going to be coming back, coming back, as in Mark, and then new folk with the other two as well. Hmm. So when I um, asked Mark what he would like to talk about, Mark had suggested quite a few good range of things um, and so we're going to try and pick up on one of those the range of topics that we could have chosen from just so you know because it is quite a good range we had was technology and its impact on well-being and resilience are psychometrics any use to us these days and the link between the so-called productivity paradox and the emergence of life hacks so uh, we've chosen that we're going to go with the first one. We're going to talk about technology and the impact on well-being and resilience. But Mark, tell me why some of the other two were of interest to you as well. <laughs> that I think um, I, I kind of freely wrote that message to you, Sergey. And they were things that were just at the top of my head on that particular day. They were things right. that I'd been I'm thinking about, reading about, listening to other podcasts about, um, and I'd starting to form thoughts, ideas and opinions around um, but I think as you know and certainly anyone that knows me knows that technology is often at the forefront of my brain yeah. um, it, it's it's something I've been a fan of since I was a very uh, very young and what I'm keen to to look at is, is how that external sets of devices, things, um, technologies, applications can in- affect the internal. Um, nice. I, 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 do, I do think that we are at a bit of a... And maybe we've passed it, but we could be already at the tipping point where I guess we are... We'll be able to look back on this period in 10, 15 years' time and point to that and say, OK, mm. this is where some of these things started affecting our behaviour. Yeah, um, and I think it's important that they are things that we do have discussions about, and they are important discussions. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's a, I, I, it's a, it's a good set of thinking um, about why we go here, and 
something that you mentioned there, which I, I think would be a nice piece to kind of lead us into where we where we are today, is what do you remember about tech when you were young? Hmm. Okay, so I for for as long as I can remember, I've been into kind of gadgets, tech. Yeah. Um, computing. I was in a very privileged position that when I was, um, oh, maybe, maybe seven or eight, oh, yeah. my my dad, who at the time was working at a university, he brought home uh, a kind of it was called a BBC computer. Yeah. And we used to have them in schools, but yeah, yeah. the thought that you could have one in your home that was that was an enormous thing, and yeah. that kind of really got me curious as to you know how can we use this, and. Um, it, it really shaped me, actually, that, that mm. experience. And those extra hours that I got to spend tinkering with that particular device gave me, I now know, looking back, gave me a particular set of um, skills and a yeah. way of looking at the world, which some of my um, kind of peers didn't have. And I, right. I, I feel very lucky and privileged to have been able to access uh, that, that particular uh, in that case, this this enormous BBC computer yeah. with the, the classic floppy drives, these enormous um, uh, uh, discs oh, yeah, that you did, had to put had in. They floppy drives, didn't they? God, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I, I think it was, if I had to crystallise it down, it was probably a sense of, um, rather than look at something and say, okay, that doesn't work, or mm. I don't know what that does, Having all of that time to spend in a safe environment with this machine gave me a sense of, well, if I press this button, what happens? Yeah, right. If I open this up and take a look at it and start pressing here and changing here, yeah. what can I experiment with? And, and that's something I've taken through with me into adulthood, that sense yeah. of, okay, let's, let's run an experiment, let's see what happens. I am that person who, if, if you have a... Um, a <laughs> A thing on a on a wall that says "Don't press this button." I will be <laughs> enormously tempted to push it because I just want to know what happens. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm a conformist. I, I I read a sign like that and I'm like, "Oh, okay, fine." It tells me not to touch it. I should I should probably not touch it then because they've written that for some kind of good reason. There will be a part <clears> of me which will be massively curious and want to know why and what's going on there. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So I guess for me, when uh, I, I go on, go on, Sook. Mm. I was, I was going to say, like for me, when I, I had my first computer. I think it must have been. A, um, so I can't remember what the uh, that game system was called. The one where you played tennis on the screen, and all you mm. have is the knobs to move the dial. Um, yes. And it, you know, and it just goes, and all it was was just the 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 ball moving from left to right of the screen. But I don't remember the game console now. I don't remember what it was. That was my first introduction to some kind of tech um, gaming in a way which didn't involve board games or cards or something, um, or just you know your own free imagination or something. And and then from there, we bought an. Um, my parents got me an Atari ST. Mm, vintage, classic. That's, yeah, that was classic console. Classic that was, um, and then over time so I've always had some kind of gaming machine so I started off with um, a Nintendo and the original NES the original Nintendo Entertainment System progressed up to the Super Nintendo at a later time got the PlayStation then got an Xbox mm -hmm. then I think I got the Wii 
the Nintendo mm-hmm. Wii, and um, most recently, and then after that, got the Xbox 360 for the kids because it had the Connect, which is mm-hmm. the motion sensor, and you had, um, and then after that, we bought we, just recently we bought the Xbox One. So we've always had some kind of gaming. I've always had some kind of gaming machine in my life, pretty much for ever since I was like in my teens so like you know when I was like 11 or 12 from then onwards I always had something to be able to occupy my time with and I was an only child so I spent a lot of time playing games <laughs> and so it sounds as though that those machines have shaped you as well having the fact that you persevered with having all, all manner of different consoles what yeah. what kind of what kind of qualities what kind of mindset do you think that has shaped having access to those machines for all that time yeah, I don't. It's a good one to think on, you know. It's, and I'm not really sure. I, I don't think I've ever thought about it in that way. Mm. I, I all I know is that gaming and the the tech to do the gaming has always been a part of my life. And so, mm. you know, the conversation we're going to have about the impact of tech and how it how it impacts on our resilience and our well being. Yeah, I'm almost I'm almost a bit removed from that because the level of gaming and the way that tech enables gaming to happen in today's world is massively different to how it was previously. And, and the other thing is, I never really got into the whole PC gaming side of the world. So the PC gaming side of the world is different, and it has been different for a long time because it allowed for a lot more exploration of the online worlds that you could create. So I never really got into the whole, um, what was it called, the... World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. You know when that kind of stuff started to happen, um, where you could enter into a world, create um, battalions of people, and go at things together. And then you know thereafter, with the likes of the PlayStation and the Xbox, when you had headsets that you could talk to people and what have you. I never really did that. That was never really my way of gaming. Mm. I've always been more interested in kind of the. Um, RPG types and the um, uh, and, and games like that, as opposed to uh, first-person shooter types and going out and doing that, that kind of thing. So mm. yeah, so yeah, your I, question's interesting because I because my interaction with that world of gaming and tech has been different because of that, and I also recognise how for others who are who do get immersed into the into the, the worlds that are now possible and can be created. It does, it does create a very different set of conversations that we do need to have. Mm. I can highly recommend checking out um, an author and a speaker called Jane McGonagall. Okay. Um, I'll send you some links if you want to put them yeah. in the show notes. Um, however, but she she um, she writes and talks very um, beautifully about living gamefully. So she talks about applying the oh. principles of game design um, to your life. Okay, um, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and just I guess that you know, that idea of um, how you use game theory to, to create rewards, you level up. Yeah. Um, yeah. How can you utilize some of that approach in in the way you live? And it's um, we could talk. I think we could spend the entire podcast talking about that. But I would I would um, now maybe we'll come back and we'll have a conversation about gaming because I think there's a lot in there about play, about um, what. Um, the concept of play and how you can apply the principles of play um, can be can be used yes. and how that can be applied to our lives. Uh, but yeah, Jane McGonagall, very, very um, interesting uh, researcher and author. Okay, that's good to... Mm. That is good. 
good call. Um, so let's let's start um, moving into this space then of why is it concerning you, Mark? Why why why, does, why, why do you think that tech is impacting on resilience and well-being? Yeah, it, it is concerning me, and I want to preface all of this by saying that I am a massive fan. If, if this hasn't come across already, I, I want to make sure we say this. I'm a huge fan of technology. Uh, I am I'm the classic early adopter, person that goes out and buys the latest version of everything, um, and then a couple of weeks afterwards realises that I should have probably waited because you know there was an update that needed to come out that made it a thousand times better. Um, but I can't help myself. It, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of who I am. Um, that being said, I do think, I, I see how technology is shaping our behaviour and shaping the way that we interact with one another. Yeah. Um, and there are some things that are beginning to uh, concern me and I think things that are, are worthwhile sharing and having conversations about. And, yeah, yeah. and I, I, also, I want to be quite specific about the sort of technology I mean, because technology is quite a broad church it and is, yeah. technology has been evolving for many, many years. And, yes. you know, the, the invention of the wheel, the invention of the car, exactly. the engine, printing press and so on. I, I, I'm not talking about that level of technology, a kind of machinery and um, automation, but more specifically about things like email, yeah, um, okay. things like social media. Yeah smartphones, devices, laptops, and how they are starting to impact on, on, on how we think and how we relate to one another. Okay. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I can... Um, yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> those, are, those are things which do cause... They are shaping behaviour, and it is, it is absolutely fascinating to see what that, you know, what that evolution has been, because I remember in, you know, when I first started out, in my career, um, some kind of 14, 15 years back now, and the way that people are connected now, and connected to email, connected to smartphones and devices and all this, in that short space of time, has dramatically changed in ways that is it is unrecognisable to what mm. I when I entered the workforce. It was not at the way you know, my life was not led the way it is now my commute mm. to work did not involve me using my smartphone because I didn't have a smartphone I had a mobile mm. phone but it just you know it very typically just allowed me to make phone calls and um, you know send text messages but mm. I, and um, you know I remember when our senior leaders at the company I was at QBC, QBC at the time they had all got blackberries and it was these newfangled devices that they didn't know what to do with and they all needed training on how to use a BlackBerry. And, um, and then, you know, from there, you saw a rapid, rapid set of, uh, I guess, um, utilisation of that type of tool in the corporate sense. And then when the likes of... Um, well, actually, you know, I mean, I remember um, Sony and Ericsson and other companies, you know, well, even the Black the Blackberries, you know, before the Apple iPhones came along and the Samsung hands handsets came along, there was a lot of com competition out there for what a smartphone might be able to allow for, but it wasn't until you had those kind of modern iterations of what we now know as a smartphone that. Um, 
that is starting to impact on actual human behaviour in a certain type of direction. Hmm. I think there's there's a term that's, that flies around called um, digital natives, which yes. is supposed to describe people who kind of grew up with this type of technology yeah. and it's just second nature to them. And I, I think I was probably somewhere on the cusp of that because I, I grew up with those devices and I grew yeah. up with computers, but certainly not with the sort of smartphones and Blackberries that you're describing. That, that, that was kind of entered my... I was probably studying university when, when those... They right, became right. more popular. Yeah. Um, so I, but I do. I've never known a world of work without something like email. As soon as I entered the workforce, email was a, was a thing, and it was it was very yeah. popular. But I, so, how from your perspective, so how how has that changed? Mm. Sort of the emergence of things like Blackberries and and the prevalence of email as a key communication. Yeah, tool. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, as we all know. I say we all know, as if we all do. Um, you know, th so the, the the massive proliferation of what these devices allowed for was that you could be contacted theoretically at any time of day, mm. and so you were. You know, there was people saw that there was a a um, that that fine line that used to be quite clearly in laid down laid down in the sand of this is when you finish work that completely became blurred. And, um, and so you'd be responding to your emails or sending emails on the commute home. When you were at home, late into the evening, at the weekend, when you're on holiday, and, you know, it starts to... Um, and then I, and I, I, think, I don't think anyone ever set out for that to happen. You know, as mm. with most things in tech, we things get designed because there's good utility behind them, but we never really truly know how they're going to be adopted as, uh, as, um, in terms of behaviour and in terms of what we do with them, because you, just, you can't ever account for you know, how we decide we're going to start to use these new things. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I kind of wonder at the time, you know, it, did, did anybody, and I don't know the answer to this, but you know, it's an interesting question, I suppose, did anybody have a foresight when the Blackberries and the likes were introduced, that um, we're going to have to put a policy in place of when you're allowed to use it. That probably didn't really come into it. Hmm. It was probably more of a case of, um, here's a useful way that you can stay in contact and up to date with your emails and keep on top of your work at any time that, is, um, that you think is helpful to you. Hmm. And, and now we have people... Uh, using them in all manners of ways. And there's also been a real, absolute, um, uh, what's the word? Um, not a resurgence, um, a retaliation of sorts, of <laughs> people wanting to not do that. And, and that's not a recent yes. thing. I've seen, that for, I've seen that for years, you know, yeah. for at least the last 60 years, if not more, where there has been a real... There has been a, a fair amount of attention paid to, you know, forget smartphone addictions. I think that's one thing, but just the overuse of emails and how it's dominated so many people's working lives and their personal lives. That's been yeah. a that's been a thing for a long, long time, um, and so mm. there's and, and getting it, it comes down. I, I think for me, at least, anyway, it comes down to. The behaviour side of stuff—you can't predict where the, how people are going to use things. 
and you can't predict the impact it's going to have on them because you don't know where it, how people are going to get you know, what they're going to do with these things yeah I, I remember well before we started the record um, you and I were talking about catching up with things you know you've been out of the office for a little while and yeah I, I was I was I was curious as to how much of that catching up involves email yeah quite a bit of it we yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, I wasn't overloaded with email when I was, because um, um, I was on a five-day leadership program, and when I, I'm, I'm, this was two weeks back, and I'm still catching up with work from that from that time off. It's more that there's work to be caught up on as opposed to the emails. So I did have to spend a whole day just kind of catching up on the emails themselves to be able to help myself prioritize where I need to go and what I need to do. Um, but the it's, it's the workload more so that I need to. Um, kind of resettle myself with. Mm. A couple of thoughts on the on the email side. I, I remember yeah. reading, and this and this is what kind of kickstarted it. There was a day I read an article on the New York Times website where the author used um, an analogy yeah. to describe their email inbox, and they talked about it as a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and and behind that was the idea that they are these things that you keep killing that you but they they keep on coming at you. Yeah. Um, we thought, my gosh, something's changed here. If we're talking about a tool that's supposed to make our life better in that way, <laughs> as like a zombie apocalypse, something's something weird is going on. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think I think there's the whole piece around um, how it seeps into other aspects of our lives. So for some people like to keep they don't perceive work and life as, as sort of work and non-work as, as different it's just life yeah, um, yeah, but some, for yeah. some people it's very important to separate and segregate yes. this is me in my social family space or my personal space right. and this is me in my professional space and there has been a change with email um, I, I, I found this study in the Academy of Management this is back in 2015 yeah. so they found that um, people who receive emails during their perceived non-work time are more likely to get angry with the sender or at their boss in the inference that they should be checking or replying to that message. Right. So even if the sender isn't their boss, they become angry at their boss because they've been put in a position where they, they should be checking, yes. replying yeah, to these yeah. messages. Yeah. And this was even true if the message itself contained words like, no wish to reply, don't need to reply yet. Right, right. Yeah, that's big. That's that's a really important thing, and I think we've probably all been in that position where we've yes we've received something like that in in a in a state where we weren't expecting to, yeah. and it's caused a change in our behaviour and our emotions. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm. And, and I think go, go on. on. No, no, go, go. Uh, there was um, you were talking about how how that is starting to shift. Um, yeah. And I, I'm starting to see kind of auto replies come through from people that are a little bit different. Um, mm, yeah. There's a German car company uh, which has taken quite an unusual approach. I, I'm quite, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. Um, so if you work for this business, um, they have two things. So if if your employee's on holiday, they restrict access to email. So even if you've got email on your phone, you can't get into it. Nice. But then secondly, if you do email somebody at this business while they're on holiday, you're going to get a message that comes back that goes along the lines of, hi, thanks for your message, I'm on holiday, and this email will be automatically deleted. Please resend on <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Monday when I'm back in the office. That's interesting, eh? So, I, and I, 
I remember seeing the same recently as well. And it is fascinating because what, what, you've, what they've realized, or what you hope they've realized, is that there is an impact that you're, when you are supposed to have that time off from work, it is meant to be time off. You are not meant to be thinking about what you're doing in that work space. And so they're trying to regulate for that and they're trying to help the well-being of their teams and their staff to make sure that that you know, doesn't have that negative impact. So mm. on one hand, I definitely applaud that. The thing, but where it starts to fall down is the, the modern um, apps that we have, they can buy, you can bypass the emails so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have the if you have if you're on a WhatsApp group, yeah, and you're on holiday, and it's a work WhatsApp group, and there's a thread of conversation happening in that WhatsApp group that you're checking and you're responding to, you're effectively still working in that time because mm-hmm. you're because you're part of that conversation, and whether or not you're on time off doing something else or what have you, you're still present in that moment doing that work. Similarly, you know, if you're on Slack groups or if you, um, if you get LinkedIn connections or what have you, you know, there, there's, there's a variety of ways in which you can still be bothered and you can still be, your attention is still taken away from, well, I'm meant to be away from the work context, both mm. physically and mentally and, um, uh, I don't know what else, and digitally, um, but because we have numerous ways that people are contactable, we, we make ourselves contactable. And therefore, there is, I think there's something there as well. I also mm. just want to come back to your point that there are some, there are some people for whom, you know, you, checking their emails late into the evening, they say, that's acceptable. I'm okay doing that because it's my choice. And, and I, I, I have trouble with that because... Mm. Um, it, yes, it might be your choice. At the same time, you, um, the person who is allowing that to happen, is not allowing themselves to have that break. They're not allowing themselves to mentally be in a different space. And yes. you know, we know from the likes of, uh, um, I want to say neuroscience research, and I'm going to get into trouble because I. I won't be able to point to specific research or specific things. Um, and so I'm trying to find a way to... Maybe... Uh, actually, no. Uh, we know from psychological research. That's probably a more safe way yeah. to, uh, to catch it. We know from psychological research that if you, if you don't have that mental break, if you don't have that mental space to be able to occupy a different space and time, you, you, the cognitive capacity that you have reduces... Because you're mm. constantly at it, you're constantly paying attention to that thing, and if you're doing that, that's that means that you're not able to appreciate and actually create that work-life balance because you're too invested in and you're too involved in those other aspects of um, being digitally available and digitally accessible mm. to people. So there's quite a few things there that I talked about. So, you know, pick up any of those that you think are... That you, uh, <laughs> no, I, I love the idea of, of just naming it and calling it my digital availability. Can we do this with our calendar? Yeah. 
You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think we, we do this with physical mail. So if somebody sends you a letter, yeah. um, you can only receive that message when you are present to receive that letter. Yeah. yeah. Physically present. Yes. Um, it's a type of communication that only applies when the recipient is there to receive it. Yes. Why shouldn't that be that apply to email and other types of messaging? Because um, yeah, right. the technology is there to do it. We can create, you know, do not digital do not disturb features. You know, lots of yeah. computers, phones have that built in now, where you can build in, do not disturb me. I'm either driving or I'm with my family or I'm sleeping. Um, but they are not set up in that way. You have yeah. to go out of your way to, to, set, to make that happen. And I think that's where mm. the responsibility of the um, providers of these pieces of technology have to, you know, there has, there has to be some accountability there. You know, yeah, yeah. In the, same way, that, in the yeah. same way that something like, I don't know, PowerPoint, a default PowerPoint presentation gives you a slide, <laughs> yes, uh, sorry, a right. title and then five bullet points. Yeah. The default in a in most smartphones or most computers is that you are going to get blinked and notified at and chimes yes. going off left, right and centre until you turn them off. Yeah. And, mm. You know, so I think there's, there's, an, there's an interesting piece there as well around how, how well do people know how to control their apps on their smartphones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it took me... Um, it took me a while to figure out that of course I can do that. You know, of course I can control when I'm notified, how I'm notified, and which pieces or, or which apps I'm going to go into in order to check in with what I need to. Mm. Right? So, um, you know, I, I, um, WhatsApp as an example. I am on different WhatsApp groups. And some of them can get very heavy with an ongoing conversation. And there's days I'll come back, I'll check into it. And because I've turned off the notifications and I've muted it, I'll look at it and it says there's 140, you know, um, messages for that one group. Wow. Mm. I'm really glad I wasn't an active part of that conversation because it would have completely distracted where I wanted to be in that time. Yes. And, you know, similarly with email, yeah, it's very possible. And I do this quite, and I, I have this already set. Yeah, I don't have it popping up at the bottom corner. I don't have the sound beeping at me. I don't have the icon to notify me that there is email there. Because I don't want to be distracted by someone thinking that they can just send me an email and get an immediate response. Hmm. Yeah, because if I'm working at something in my way, I'm trying to focus on that thing. I'm not trying to also be interrupted by, oh, look, there's an email. Let me go and see what that person needs. Yes. Yeah. Although, yeah, I think there's, there's this, yeah, I totally agree. And that's, that's a, it's nice that you've, you've got the knowledge to be able to set that up and, right. and to switch those things off or t- tailor your devices in the way that works for you. Yeah. But, I, don't, but I, I guess that's my concern, is I don't know how many people know that they can do that. Mm. Yeah, and something I'm mindful of with my kids is that as they start to use apps and what have you, is that I, I, I'm going to have to start talking to them in this way to help them understand how to manage that so that they mm. aren't railroaded into a whole set of you know online stuff which they may not have they may not feel they have control over and they absolutely mm. do but they're just too young to necessarily understand what that can look like right now mm. yeah you alluded a little earlier to um a piece of work around 
the psychology of being distracted yeah. and what that does. So um, there's, there's um, an author called Teresa um, Amabili. She's done a lot of work on creativity in the workplace and, and unsurprisingly she's found that people are more creative when they create blocks of undistracted time. Right. Um, and when people have more fragmented days, their creative thinking decreases significantly. And one of the things that tends to do that are, are email inboxes. So there's a researcher called Glenn Wilson. This this is blew my mind when I when I found this out. So he found that even the opportunity to multitask. So an example of that could be not even looking at email, but knowing that it's there yeah. in your inbox can reduce your effective IQ by 10 to 15 points. And so for most oh, adults, right. wow. that brings our cognitive ability in line with an average eight-year-old. Wow. So that just knowing that there's an email in there, so for people who haven't switched off the little bing yeah, or yeah. the little visual icon saying new email ready, that's that has that kind of dramatic effect on your cognitive ability. So he calls it, it like um, eight to ten percent. Um, so ten to fifteen IQ Sorry, points. 10, ten to fifteen IQ points. Which brings you down to the sort of average cognitive ability of an eight-year-old. Most adults. Yeah. Wow. Um, incredible. He calls it. He calls this infomania. Infomania. So have. Infomania, having you know a, a state that's brought on by um, feeling overwhelmed by information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, if you think about your example of the WhatsApp group with a hundred yeah. notifications, that's a classic example of infomania. Right. Yes. And you know, it, and you know, in, in in a very similar way, I I am concerned about people's ability to feel well when they are when they feel when the, when the when the devices or the emails or whichever way we, we, we tend to focus on this however we have however we're feeling um, either inundated or overwhelmed or um, the need to have to respond to to respond to so many different things what's interesting about that for me is that you know, I'm coming back to the point I made earlier no one knew that this is what was going to happen not not really right mm. you know, sci-fi um, has always told us that at some point the technology and the digital things will be so interwoven in our lives that it'll just be seamless and we won't really know the difference between real life and virtual reality or other forms of um, digital existence. So you know, there, 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 has, there have been people who have put thought to it, but they've been very creative mm -hmm. in how they think about it. The actual people who develop this stuff, though, can't know for sure how we... Um, use these kind of tools and it's interesting because you, you have tools like Snapchat for example which has primarily been built off the fact that there are a lot of people who enjoy taking selfies not only do they like taking selfies they like to do fun and um, weird and wacky stuff with their uh, photos so let's create a whole set of filters that can add on to that and then let's create videos because people like to be videoed. They, they want to have that affirmation from other people. And what they've done there is they've, they've created an app which serves no productive kind of capacity. It's, it's just about, mm -hmm. you know, in some, I guess in, in a regard, it's about self-ingratiation. Mm -hmm. But it's a, there's, it's, it is a whole complete and utter business model. And you go, right, so well done for recognizing the opportunity. But you haven't 
you haven't tried. So to your point about what's the responsibility of the app developer to say, we'll make this available to you, but you can only use it for 45 minutes of the day. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. at what point is that part of the design of the, um, of the tech, of the app, that we recognize that there is potential here for overuse. There's potential here for misuse. There's potential here for abuse, right? And mm-hmm. we can restrict that because we can, um, we can make the app work in a certain way that after a certain point, either it just switches off or there's any other number of things in place. Like, for example, I've, I've noticed uh, you get a notification to say, you've been on this for about an hour now. Mm-hmm. We recommend you now leave the app and go and do something else. Yeah. You know, I don't see and I don't hear about that type of design being built into apps and the way that we use them that encourages people to have that sense of, oh, right, yeah, I have been spending a long time here. Mm. Well, as if any of your listeners listened to our previous podcast where we talked about optimism, yeah. we had a conversation about Apple and Android. Yes. Didn't we? I'm. I was in. I was intrigued and really happy to see this. So early this year, um, Apple released an update or a, a showcase of their new smartphone software. It's called iOS 12, which is coming out later on this year. And one of the key features there is they're building in a system which allows the users of their phones to see how much time they're spending on their device right. and which apps demand their attention most. So they've they've taken it. They've gone one step above nice. the kind of app creators and saying right. We, we are not in the business of your attention yeah. or your data. What we're interested in is making you happier as a result of using our device. And yeah. for us, that now means letting you know when you've been spending 9, 8, 10, yeah, 12 yeah. hours a day on this and what is, what is consuming your time when you are using your device. Okay. I, was, I was fascinated to see that they, they were taking that step, but I, was, I think it's a really positive step. It is a positive step, and I, and I didn't know that, so thanks for sharing that out. That's definitely a really good thing to know is happening. And, you know, you, you can totally see why as well, because it's, it's in response to the conversation that you are having now, right? Not, not because of you yeah. and I are having this conversation, but, you know, it, there are many people out there having this type of conversation. And so clearly they've understood in some way that as a, as a device owner, you can, you can have access to a certain level of data which was probably already there and available, but we never knew how to really access it. And now they're going to make it a feature within the app settings or other phone mm. settings. That's really helpful. That's really good to know. It would be, mm. be questionable about how many people actually go ahead and make use of it. Yes. Um, and, you know, my, my concern is that app developers um, and, you know, the d- variety of products they have, um, unless, it's, uh, unless it is designed in that, they that they um, present options for less use in different ways mm-hmm. that we will still have this very very relevant and prevalent problem of um, addiction to smartphones addiction to apps and you know spending too much time there at the um, at the risk of your well-being and mm. reducing your resilience 
Yeah. And, and building on that, capacity to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, right, they, they're, they're, yeah, they're yeah. there to they're there to help us connect to one another. Yeah. You could argue, but in 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 doing that, they're actually making us more isolated and yeah. more insular. Um. Yeah, and you know, there's different people say different things as well, right? So people say you know, there's there's a, there's a real problem now that young people don't know how to communicate with others because they spend too much time in their apps, and you kind of and and part of me also looks at it and and and, um, and I think no, that's not true. Their their existence is a digital existence, which and their future will be a digital existence as well. Mm. So they're learning right now how to navigate that space, mm. and that's no different to when I used to go to hang out with my friends at the, you know, I don't know, the, the shops or wherever it, was, wherever it was we used to go. You, even, even though you're doing that face-to-face with a group of people, you're still navigating what that looks like. You, you don't master that. You know, it, I probably didn't master it until I, I don't think I've mastered it yet. You know, I'm, I'm now 40. But it's, t- it's taken me a, a long time to understand how I communicate, what that communication looks like, and how I can improve on that in lots of ways mm. that I was a teenager and I found it I had to navigate that me I don't think there's a real difference in in how that works face to face and how it works in person because you're still doing the same kind of thing in about 10 years time mm. they will still be required to have to use digital technology in order to work and they will have to be required to do some face to face stuff they're learning how to do that I think where the balance is skewed is that the um, what they're doing in the digital space is unregulated. I think that's mm. where it's skewed. Or I think that's one of the things that skews it. It is. It is. Um, and and I, I think we, we do seem to be at a, a sort of a turning point there where some um, sort of ex-members of certain organisations in the Silicon yeah. Valley area are starting to come forward and saying, yeah, we have been designing things in a way that is designed to grab attention. Yes, um, there was a, right. there was a program on just this week. Uh, there's a BBC Panorama focus, focusing on just this, where they were having people, um, you know, designers of web pages, of apps, and social media sites, just describing some of the practices that they found there. And um, one of them is, and, and and you'll have seen this actually, this idea of the long scroll yeah, on yeah. a web page. Yeah. So that that was very intentional. That that design choice. They they worked with psychologists to discover that. Um, So if we go on web web pages for the moment, and we go to food. So if you are in front of a plate or a bowl of soup, and you're told to start eating, um, if you you use that bowl as a visual cue for when it's time to stop. Yes. In other words, when the bowl is empty, yeah. it's time to stop. You've had too much. What the, the research has found is that if you um, subtly continue filling that bowl up as somebody's eating it, it's kind of this all kind of all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah. It's very difficult to stop right. somebody eating, and they, yeah. they will continue eating for a lot longer than they would if they were just, you know, they could see the bottom of the bowl. Yeah. And so they applied that to the website. So how, can you remember the last time you saw a website that had a next page on it or a page one, two, three, four, five that you had to click for, yeah, click true. through for? Yeah, yeah. It's all long scrolls, and all you'll do is this, you know, how easy it is to just carry on scrolling with your finger yeah. or with your mouse, and you consume more of yeah. that content because of the way it's been designed. Yeah, you've got me thinking on that one. Mm. 
because that really pisses me off. It does, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, because what we've taken, what 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 a group of people have done there is they've taken an understanding of how to keep you hooked in, and they've completely exploited and manipulated that design choice so that you are manipulated into staying there for as long as you can. Hmm. And that's. You know, for me, and, and for me, that really crosses those ethical and moral boundaries of, well, what are we trying to do here? Mm. Yeah, are we? Do, yeah, and and you know, clearly, there's a monetary aspect to this. Of, um, you know, if they're doing this for a commercial purpose, then they have to do that in order to keep the people in their app for longer, so that they can continue to make higher revenues. Mm. That just really, really grates because yeah. you're doing it at the complete. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? You're doing it at the complete kind of ill health of the individual using it. Because you've taken away their mm. active choice to, st to move away from there. Because mm -hmm. you just keep providing them more and more and more. Yeah. This is a classic example of this this infomania. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. If if you provide them with more, they will assume that there's something they might miss out on, and they'll just carry on consuming. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. This is important stuff, right? You know, we sh we should be having more of these conversations. I think about because because we're all aware of it. You know, yes. we we've noticed yeah, those yeah. changes. Yeah. We notice when you go onto your social media feeds that you have. Sometimes they're, they're organised in slightly odd ways where you see things yeah. from three days ago rather than in a chronological, this is the latest thing that's happened. Yeah, yeah. It, so we, we're aware this is going on. We're not always aware of why and we're less so um, welcoming of questions as to what are we... How is this changing our behaviour? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what, what that also just made me think of is... You know, last night I posed a question about um, on Twitter about whether or not um, I should invest in getting Netflix, and I've resisted for a long time to not get Netflix, but mostly because we have Sky um, at home, and so I've never really thought that there was a need to have to. But it kind of, I think I'm going to have to, um, just because there are, there are certain programs on there that um, there is social pressure. So this is the interesting thing. So there's social pressure to have to get Netflix because my children, my children's friends watch certain programs which are on Netflix. We don't have Netflix, therefore they don't watch them. Therefore they're not part of the conversation. And so I'm probably gonna have to get Netflix in order to be able to satisfy the social need to have to have that conversation. Mm. And it's not because I want to get Netflix because I believe that they've got a better quality content or that they've got a better user experience or that there's anything like that. It's because there's a certain pressure of um, the the social experience of what's happening with the app, mm -hmm. and if you don't have it, and I had to do the same recently with my boys. Um, to they're playing, the, they're now playing the game Fortnite, mm -hmm. which is a massively, massively popular multiplayer game, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, a lot of their friends are on it. It is a very regular topic of conversation, and at some point, as a parent, you have to make those decisions of. Okay, so I think I have to allow my children to do this because if I don't, I'm actually harming their, their social capability 
and their acceptance among their friends. And I don't want, as a parent, I don't want to be, I don't want them to be suffering in their social circles because I've made certain parental choices. Hmm. So I think that's an interesting piece, which I, I, I completely yeah. didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I'm, but and at the same time, I'm also having to lay down very, very clear rules about when they can play Fortnite, mm. how long for, and yeah, um, and then there's a whole world of conversation to be had around if you play and there's a random group of people, how to be safe with playing with an unknown group of people. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a whole set of conversations which I knew I needed to have at some point. I just didn't expect to happen now when they're 11 years old. Mm. And so I'm having that conversation with them now. But the, coming back to the Netflix thing, what that also gets me thinking of is that there's, um, you know, there's a very strong culture on Netflix of binge-watching. Yes. And people, you know, I say wasting, and I, I use that term kind of loosely in that it's probably not the right word. You know, People will happily binge watch over a whole weekend, and not really do anything other so not really do any other social activity because they're so focused on wanting to binge watch whatever program it is that they're trying to get through. Mm. And you know what I'm unaware of is I don't know if Netflix, after say two episodes of you watching, stops and says we're actually going to stop the app for half an hour so you can go away and do something else. And mm. then you can come back and watch the rest of the, your your yeah. programs. Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard it does that. If it did that, I would be really impressed. Mm. Yeah, because it's what you would want to do as a parent, and what you would yeah, right. expect your parents to do if you were in that position. Yeah, for this abundance of content. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, and and what that makes me uh, think about is is just as well the idea of how all of these things can be used to include versus a- exclude people. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm really conscious of this. We talk about, um, you know, if, if you're in the club of people who've watched a certain program on Netflix and how fantastic was it, and if there's yeah. one person in the conversation who hasn't, isn't part of that group, oh. they can't belong to it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, th- again, social pressure, it, it kicks in. Very, very tricky. There is, um, on, on a connected note, this um, this really scared me, this, this piece of research. So there's um, a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania called Barbara Kahn, and her area of research is around perception and decision-making. And she's become, I guess her specialism is, is FOMO. So uh, for your listeners who don't, haven't heard that word before, or it's an, it's an abbreviated word, it's uh, fear of missing out, yeah. FOMO. So what she wanted to do was test whether FOMO undermines our enjoyment of the decisions that we've made. Mm. So what she's found out is that, is that the, even the word isn't really accurate, so it's not really a fear, FOMO, no, it's but it's, it's more of a kind of social anxiety, and yes. specifically a, a, an anxiety around what is happening in a group experience that's going to shape that group's history in the future in a way that you won't be part of. Yeah. And that, under, that undermines your sense of how much you belong to that group. So an example of that, um, she, she designed a really clever experiment here where looking at things like Facebook feeds, yeah. um, let's say you're doing something amazing with your family. 
Yeah. Um, you have to know, maybe you're cruising down the Spanish Riviera with your favourite people yeah. um, in the blazing sunshine, and you're sipping this beautiful, cool drink, yeah. the nicest you can imagine. Now, for most people, that's a happy, happy day. Yeah. And something to look back on and remember and say, I was happy then. But what she's been able to find is that if, if you in that scenario were to fire up your phone and see a picture of some other friends in a bar, some random bar in the UK, mm. having a great time, the knowledge that that is happening undermines your enjoyment of the thing you're doing. Mm. That's crazy, isn't that it? Is so crazy, th- isn't it's, it? it's that, the, the sense of FOMO, the fear yeah. of missing out, yeah. actually takes you away from the moment you're in yeah. and leads you to miss out on that. It undermines your happiness in a way that wouldn't have been undermined had you not seen that information. And that is scary. You're right. (laughs) It is scary because, (laughs) you know, and and so for me, there's also something there around how do we, how do we help people not feel that they have to do that? Mm. You know, how do we help people to, you know, so there's been plenty of times when, like, I've been on a family holiday and... In the early days of using social media, I, I was very guilty of posting straight away. And over, over time, realized that I really don't need to do that. I can do like a, a collage of stuff at the end of the day if I needed to. Well, these days, I just end up thread tweeting my stuff that I want to do. Mm. And, and, um, and that's because I've learned that when I'm in those moments, I can take the photo. I just don't need to have to do share that socially at that moment. I can do my social media stuff later because I want to be there present in those moments and I want to be enjoying that as much as I can and not have to, and, and to, that, to your point there, you know, I don't want to have to look at someone else's stuff and go, oh yeah, that looks great. I guess I'm missing out on that and yeah. I'm not enjoying this now because when I get back, I won't be able to have that conversation with them about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Human nature is such a curious little. Oh, it really is. Thing. Isn't it? Yeah. And you're right. It is an important set of conversations that we definitely should be having. You know, because it, we, we we are impacted uh, in our experience and how we go about doing things. And in the world of work that you and I are involved in, around learning, development, leadership and everything that surrounds that as well, there's, mm. there, there is an impact on how, how we help people to understand how they can navigate these things in a different way. Mm. Mm. Should, we, should we move into that space then, Sukarant? I mean, you've already shared a few. Yeah. But from, from your perspective, what, what's, what are your kind of top tips for, for managing some of the uh, dangerous aspects of what we've been talking about. Yeah. What works for you? Good, good, good question. Um, so, I think with, with my different um, apps and different things that I have on my phone, what I've learned is that I need to I need to see what the um, thing allows for first. So I normally allow myself a certain period of time where I understand. Like, so say, for example, the case of Outlook and emails and what have you. 
for a long while now, I've undertaken that behaviour, like I explained previously, of um, you know, turning up all the notifications that surround it. So, I'm, so I just don't get distracted by it. So I can go in when I'm ready to check the emails in order to make sure that I'm responding to things as, as I need to. But with other things, like um, with WhatsApp and with the groups that are on there and different conversations, I, real- I, I didn't realise that I could do things like turn off the notifications and all that kind mm. of stuff until I needed to because I, I realised I was getting too overwhelmed by that stuff. And so there's a certain period, there's, there's certain points where I, I will start to actively, actively reflect on actually, what, hold on, what's, what's happening with this app? What's, ha- what's happening with my interaction with the app? And is that what I want it to be? And if it's not, what can I do to just completely change that behaviour? And so, but that's because I'm mind- that's because I'm aware of these kind of things and I'm mindful of them. And it's I, I find it's less that it impacts my well-being, and it's just more that it impacts my attention. Mm. And if my attention is taken away in many different places at constantly, then all I'm doing is I'm just jumping from one thing to the next. Now I'm not really being allowing myself to be mindful. I'm not really allowing myself to be present when I need to mm. be. And there's many other things which I'm more concerned about. And so I've, learned, I've had to be very consciously aware of in myself. And if, I don't want, if, if I notice a certain pattern of behaviour, how can I change that so that it is a desired set of behaviours? Mm. Yeah, so that's a that's great quite, set quite, of tips. But that's quite a broad brush though, and it's not very practical, so um, I, I'm not sure how helpful that is. Um, so thank you for saying that it is. I'm just not sure how sure it is. Oh, no, I, th- I think, it, I think well, there's two kind of really practical tips there around sort of switching off notifications. And as you say, I only recently discovered that you can mute WhatsApp groups. That's, yeah. that's a really great thing to do because it stops that sense of, oh, my gosh, I need to reply to this or I need to read all of these messages. Yeah. It just means you can do it in your own time. That, that's, a, that's a huge... And the theme there is around taking control back. Yes. over these devices that rather than them controlling you you then get a sense of okay I'm going to deal with this but I'm going to deal with it in my time and in the space when I'm I'm ready to handle it yeah it's that I think that's that's just generally a, a really good good theme to sort of to, to work towards um, a more positive approach and a more controlled approach um, yeah what about for you Mark what, what, what kind of things do you uh, I'm definitely with you on switching off notifications. I think um, before I started switching off notifications in, entirely, I had moved on my phone um, apps away from the home page that had any kind of visual notification. So um, obviously on, on uh, Apple devices, they come up as uh, sort of big red yeah. <laughs> big red buttons with a number after them, which is, you know, red is nature's look at me yeah. colour. Um, often danger actually um, so we are hardwired to look at this stuff and just move it move it away move yeah, it away yeah, onto a different yeah, page yeah, so yeah. I know it's there and if I want to get to it I maybe have to do three or four swipes to get to it but it's not the first thing I see when I open up my phone that was quite a big that had quite a big impact on on how I was using those those particular applications and as a result how I was using my phone yeah um, yeah just that kind of out of sight out of mind yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a kind of mantra is is quite a good way of doing this. Um, I uh, 
I guess um, we touched on this earlier on, but I think it's an important one. I, I've started doing this as much as I can in my practice. And I guess, again, I, I'm in a pretty privileged position to be able to do this. And I, mm. I recognise that not, not everyone is. But it's something I would encourage you to experiment with and see what changes, is um, creating digital do not disturb spaces in your day. Mm, so in yeah, the same way yeah, that, yeah, okay. you know, I'm sure you've booked out a meeting room to be where you are. Yeah. Um, if we were going to be having, if I was going to have some sort of deep focus work where I was writing or doing something with our accounts that was that required my, my attention, I would not want to be physically disturbed. And I, I try and create that digitally as well. So yeah. for, an example of that for me is I only check my emails on my laptop um, two or three times a day. Right. They don't even get delivered. So even if my email's open, they don't get delivered. Um, and so there's, there's not even a sense nice. that, that there's something okay. new waiting for me. Okay. So for me, that's a, that's a digital, digital space in my day where I'm not to be disturbed. And um, yeah. in, in some days, I've gone as far as to create an out-of-office message to say, to say that, so that people know that it's yeah, not, yeah. I'm not ignoring them. Yeah. And that if, they, if they urgently need me, they can come and find me. But it's just the default is... I'm in this space, I'm not yeah. going to be replying to you in the next few hours. Or maybe not even today. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a, sim a very simple one um, around on the, on the email front was um, a principle I came across called NRN. Um, and that's, that's really helped as well. So um, NRN stands for no reply needed. Okay. And just tagging that on a subject line to people and uh, letting them know what that means for you and for them, yeah. just reduces email load so yeah, you know nice. before if even people were sending emails back that just said thank you or great which is fine yeah. but it adds to my cognitive load to have to process that email and do <laughs> something with it yeah, yeah. so just letting them know okay if you've, if you've received that that's great you don't need to reply to me um, that's a I guess that's more of a culture thing mm -hmm. but also just as, as, a, as a process to implement that that works really nicely um, and then ooh, I guess Probably one more is just a book that I've just started to read this week, um, yeah. which has been um, full of gems so far, and I would definitely recommend. Um, and the principle behind this is, if you're going to use these devices and make them part of the way that you work, make it your business to learn how these things are designed. Yeah. Whether it's the computers or the phones or the apps or the websites, make it your business to learn a bit more about what are people doing who are, who are designing them and why are they designing them? And so the book is called The Attention Merchants. The author is a guy called Tim Wu. And so far I've learned an awful lot of um, juicy things about particular websites and companies that I would yeah, highly recommend. Tim Wu, was that? Tim uh, Wu, W-U. Okay. That's good, I like that. Um, and it, uh, yeah, definitely a good one. Um, and there's some really nice ones there. And what one of the ones that um, I was drawn to was what I, what's interesting is on Outlook and the recent updates to Outlook it, it's now no longer called out of office notifications it's now called automatic mm -hmm. replies mm -hmm. and I think there's been I think that's been deliberate because yeah. I've realised that it, you can use it in the way you've described right? it doesn't have to be I'm out of the office and therefore I have to leave an out of office message it can be for what you've described there it can just be I'm unavailable for the next four hours you will not be here. You will not be hearing from me. Please do not try and contact me either. I will. I will get back in touch with you afterwards. And that's really, but I, I, you know, because people. I, so I'm assuming. I assume many people would associate it with an out of office reply, 
they would not assume they could use it in that way to be able to manage that digital existence and uh, mm. uh, you know that digital availability to say yeah just don't go there right right now um, and, and that can be a helpful way to to let people know for sure mm. this has been a really good conversation Mark. thank you so I've really enjoyed it and I'd, I'd encourage you, your listeners, if you've got any other tips, comments, thoughts, um, do let us know, do get in touch. And if, if you come across anything that's, that's um, resonating with you or any um, articles that you'd like to share around uh, things you've discovered about any of the areas we've been exploring, we'd love to hear about them. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great call. And it would be really fascinating to hear exactly that. You know, how do people manage themselves? What are their own personal experiences of managing their digital availability, the impact it has on their well-being, what they've learned about themselves, all of that. It's all good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Very, very happy with that. Um, so um, I, I, I don't have anything else to, to add at this point. I just want to say thank you very much. It was a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Sig. It's been a pleasure, as always. And thank you for inviting me back on the podcast. No problem. Take care, Mark. Thank you. Right.